Hello and welcome back to Night Spice Season 2, Episode 6. I'm Oscar. I'm here with Neil. Neil, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Oscar? Doing good. I'm doing good. Um, first time ever sequel, right? Yeah. Yeah. First sequel. And, and I've wanted did to do it. some sequels before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, back to back. We did Hyperion last week by Dan Simmons. This week is The Fall of Hyperion, which, you know, it doesn't end, but it... it Hyperion has like no ending. It's yeah. like literally just a midpoint, and this at least comes to a conclusion of some kind. Um uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off with a little bit of a, a summary. Well, it's very confusing, I th- yeah. thought. So very nice. Uh, right. So at the end of Hyperion, the surviving pilgrims have made it to the time tombs on the planet Hyperion. They're ready to you know, suicide themselves into the Shrike or whatever their their goals are. Um, this book, uh, I don't even know where to start. It's it, so it doesn't have the same structure. It's right. not. It's not just like a, a, a series of people telling their unrelated stories that tie together. It's just a novel. Like it's kind of nonlinear, but it is based on the world told in the first book. I guess it wraps right. everything up. Definitely. Narrated by our favorite John Keats. Yeah, right. Okay, so the, there is a framing device here, which I don't really think was necessary. But I, yeah, I, so basically, um, John Keats or Johnny from the last book, this is like a version of that personality or something that the AI Technocore has made in a body taking the name of Joseph Severn, which I think was the artist who was with John Keats when he died in real history, I think. Yeah. But who knows? Um, That's what I saw. Okay. And he is having dreams of what some of the pilgrims who have com logs or whatever on Hyperion are having. But over the course of the book, he just starts sort of being able to see anything and he can communicate things across dreams. And I think it's basically just a framing story, uh, a framing mechanism so that you can get uh, Mina Gladstone, the the hegemony CEO's perspective, and he's there with her physically, but you can also see what's happening at the time tombs. I think it would have been fine if it had just been like a multi point of view novel. I agree. But, I, I think uh, this John Keats stuff should have been removed, but no spoilers. Well, I don't even know if that would have been possible. Given That's true. There were some plot elements <laughs> that were communicated by dreams of John Keats or vice versa. John Keats shows up in your dream. Um, I guess if you're like a fan of John Keats, this probably is great, but I don't really know him very well. No, he's a, a poet from history. So that's yes. not good odds for me knowing about somebody. I mean, I knew his name. Right. And that was it. All right. So here, let me do the big picture story, the like real world story which is that the ousters and the hegemony are about to fight a war over hyperion the time tombs are about to open the shrike is sort of spreading its web of uh, it's like range of murder um nobody really knows what it's there for there are these different factions there are the ousters who are the humans who left and have sort of decided to evolve into like cat people <laughs> um, there's the hegemony, which is like the evil Star Trek Federation, or or like the slightly sinister, not well, pure it, it good. Depends on your perspective. I feel right. like they're just the United States, but you know sometimes sure. yeah, the United okay. States pollutes the environment. Yes, that's true. Um, 
And then you have the pilgrims who are all trying to accomplish different things. And there's a bunch of weird nonsense going on. So that's the beginning of the novel. And then basically what happens is the hegemony and the ousters fight the hegemony uh, over in the, in the space around Hyperion um, because the ousters want to take the planet and study the time tombs. And basically the hegemony also wants the planet. The hegemony overcommits its military and then a whole bunch of ouster ships show up in a surprise attack on undefended planets that um, turns out to instead be that the Templars were working with the ousters, but this is the techno core, the AI, some faction of them trying to sort of wipe out the hegemony. Um, one of the three factions of the techno core. And in the end, the ousters and the hegemony sort of diplomatically realize they're on the same side and there's a bunch of nonsense with the Shrike and the, the actual pilgrims, which I think we could talk about separately. That might be easier. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, one thing to clarify, though. Um, yes, please. Is um, I think the hegemon hegemony doesn't want to, once Hyperion, not for Hyperion, but just to start a war with the ousters because oh, right. yes. Mena Gladstone, the CEO of the hegemony, um, thinks that that is the only way she can save humanity from the techno core. Because of some dreams, some giant robot told her. Right. So, so, so the 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 premise here is that Hyperion warps the Technocore's ability to predict. It's not even clear to me if that's true, but it has some sort of quantum effect, and I think it's related to the fact that things the Pilgrims are doing now will sort of determine what ends up coming back through time in the time tombs. I think oh, that's yeah. the idea. I guess Kasad uh, is the only one who kind of did that, right? Right. And um, Saul, I guess. Yeah. So, but but anyway, um, uh, it's I, I I'm not sure it makes any sense. But yeah, so so Mina Gladstone basically has been presented with two futures: one in which there is a horrible interstellar war, but I think humanity has a chance to survive, and one where there isn't, and humanity guaranteed goes extinct. Right, yeah. I mean, so she chooses the war. Sense in hindsight, like you can see how those outcomes would have happened. Yes, but who tells her that? Like, oh, it is Uman. She... Okay, and Uman is one of the AI, like the techno core AI who speaks in like blank verse, stage, uh, screenplay style. And yeah. is did you read what? Um, what's it he... called? Oh, what the uh, Ishmael. Oh no! In high school, okay. maybe. Well, I don't think never so. mind. Um, is that like uh, stream of conscious or something? No, it's 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 about a guy who like a giant ape who can speak and like reveals philosophical truths about humanity based on like its history and uh, like the development of agriculture and all this stuff. We had to read it. Oh, in high school. It's weird. That's that's very racist because Uman is clearly a Samoan. Is that, is that true? <laughs> Well, I don't know the the narrator kind of. Put oh, on an right, accent. audiobook. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, yes. Um, I forget what I was going to say. Should Should we talk about the character, the individual oh. pilgrims? I feel like that's our best shot. Oh, I remember. U Uman okay. is a stable. He, he's in the stable faction of the AIs, which means he wants the status quo to continue, and he doesn't want. Right, the partnership so, with humanity. Right, he wants to maintain that. He doesn't want um, 
humans to be eliminated, but they're right. About to and get then eliminated. the volatiles, no more humans. Yes. And the then, ultimates are like, let's make an even better AI that wants to destroy us. Right, and right, right, right. The sta- and the stables don't want that because they don't want to be destroyed. Right. In the process, yeah. which I, I feel that. Um, yes. The pilgrims. Yeah. You say? I, ha- I have <laughs> a list of what happens to all the pilgrims here. Perfect. I had, I had to write it down because I couldn't remember. Yeah. Um, Lenar Hoyt gets chopped up by the strike, but he has a cruciform in him um, that spawns Father Duray, the main character of the first story in the first book. Um, and for some reason that I didn't understand, the Shrike takes Duray, removes the Duray resurrecting cruciform from him yeah. and escorts him off planet to a uh, moved version of like St. Peter's Basilica in Packham or something. Yes. Right. The Templar planet. No, yes. no. The, the Catholic church planet. The Catholic church planet. Yes. And then um, uh, he uh, becomes the Pope. Yep. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> and uh, he uh, tries to talk to some Templar at some point and some people in the Shrike Church and turns out they're all straight up evil, but also in straight up environmentalists. Yeah. Oh, that was, they made a lot of good points, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, he conveys some message to Mina Gladstone that eventually resolved the overall plot, but I can't remember what it was. Do you remember? I sure don't. Yeah. Well, not much happens to him. And Laura Hoyt, for all we know, is pretty much dead except for his well, form. And presumably Father Duray is excited because he's going to really die, which is what he wants. He doesn't want to get resurrected. Yeah. But the body is presumably going to come back as Lenar Hoyt because that cruciform still exists. Yeah, as long so, as the cruciform works. So that sucks. Or For him. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then Colonel Kazab's Kazad. Uh, do you want to take this one or should I? Uh... Uh, yeah, we'll trade off. I'll, he he uh, meets back up with Moneta and... Yep is told that if he defeats the Shrike in single combat, he can destroy it and he wants to fight it anyway. So he does try to fight it and various things happen and he gets like teleported around a bunch and ends up in the future and with a bunch of like weird evolved human warriors and leads them into battle against an army of Shrikes and presumably they win and then they something with time travel happens, but he's dead, but he's a yeah. hero in the future. And I guess he seemed fine with it. Right. I thought, yeah, it was like, because they won the battle, then they got the right to send Moneta with the Shrike or that was my interpretation okay. of that. And if, right. Like, and I guess if he, if he had lost, then a bad Shrike would have come back, but like, there would only be the Shrike going back. Like this is, Oh, a, Oh, I see. Okay. That's, I, that's decent. Like, so there's more clear than where I ended up. Right, like there's the ultimate intelligence god, like <laughs> the AIs come up with the ultimate intelligence, and it's essentially a god. And somehow there's also a human god in the far future. Uh, very little details about this. Maybe in the next book it'll they'll talk about it. Um, but I, my interpretation of this was that these two gods decide to instead of negotiating, they like are having a trial by single combat. But I guess it's an army. Like no, but they said that the whole point of the Shrike and the tree of pain or, and all that stuff was that was designed by oh, right. the AI God 
to like because a third of the human god which corresponds to the trinity of the real christian well real you know what i mean like earth christian god um the empathy portion of it question mark was hiding question mark so the tree of pain and all the pain it projected would like draw it out because the ai wanted to face the full power of its opposing god the human god and question mark also right i I, so i might have made up an explanation that didn't happen in the book but i thought it was like in the far future they're all just like chatting and like the ai god wanted to suss out the human god earlier in Mm -hmm. time when it was maybe weaker or just forming or something i don't know i see i I think i that i think that's heavy interpretation i don't think that was necessarily i mean i think that's the best you can do with like I don't personally, I don't think that there is a clear understanding hidden in the book. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it might be total nonsense. Right. But no spoilers. No spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that's two. So who do you have next on your list? Uh, Silenus, the poet. Um, Oh yeah. This will be short. Can be eliminated from the book. Nothing happens. I, all I can, the only reason I think he's in the book is because the author loves poets. Yeah. Yeah, he he goes to Hyperion and or sorry, the poet city and is like overcome with creative energy and almost finishes and then the shrike shows up and kills him. Slash does the shrike kill people or does it connect tubes to their head in a temple and oh, then yeah. he hangs oh. on the tree forever. Yeah, my interpretation there was they like get sent to virtual reality and it's only in the virtual reality that they're like being pierced and stuff. So they're in real life, they're not dead. Yeah, but don't people like find corpses and yeah. stuff? Not of him. More of the corpses in the catacombs or something? No, but like all the Shrike killings in the first book, like in the sort of near history of Hyperion, right, aren't right. they like finding people's bodies and like decapitated yeah, yeah. and all this stuff? Yeah, the, the Shrike can do that. But when you get put on the Tree of Thorns, it's ah, like a I metaphorical see. thing where you're just sent to pain virtual reality. Okay, but it is a physical thing. Like Colonel Kassad sees Silenus on the tree when he actually sees the tree. Yes, but who knows if he saw Silenus pierced on a tree, or, um, or the tube from his head? I guess it could be either. Like maybe. Uh, I see. Okay, I see. It's yeah. Okay. It does sound like it should be pierced, but I guess it wasn't clear, right? Yeah, I don't remember. He could have been speaking sort of like a little metaphorically out of spite or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ex- agreed. Um, yeah. Who's next on your list? Uh, Saul Weintraub. Okay. So he at least interacts with something that could be a plot, but only like once. So he he has this whole like, what is the deal with Abraham? Like, why should we have to sacrifice to God? Like, that's what that what kind of God would demand that whatever. So he just sort of sits around is sad because Rachel is aging back in time and has like minutes left, etc. And then has the dream again and is like, oh, it's not the Shrike in the dream asking me to leave, make Rachel be a burnt offering. It's Rachel. And he believes that and is, is like, okay, well then this is the right thing to do. And then the Shrike comes through the time tombs at the last instant and he gives the baby to the Shrike and the Shrike disappears. And then Saul sits around for the second half of the book and then at the end of the book, Rachel reveals that she is Moneta, 
the woman who like comes back in time and then Saul takes the baby and goes forward in time to raise Rachel in the future. And then older Rachel says something about like the paradox board, which I think is from the Hitchhiker's Guide. And uh, yep, there you go. It's like Doctor Who. It was a little like Doctor Who, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, especially when they started talking about how love was a force. Oh, don't even, don't even, <laughs> don't, don't start with me this early in the podcast. I won't right, survive. Right. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it, it took. I had to wrap my head around this a bit, but I think it made sufficient sense for me to be okay with it. Like, even though for a while there, I was like, "It's time travel; it doesn't have to make sense." I don't think it doesn't make sense mechanically. I was just. I I don't think that anything is um, sort of clarified or made more interesting by the fact that Moneta is Rachel. It's just like well, these two characters are the same person. Like, it's not like I was wondering who she was. or Do you know what I mean? Like, right. um, it wasn't a revelation like to me. Really? Okay. Like, I thought um, it was like, it's like now you know that Rachel, like, didn't disappear. Uh, I mean, I guess you, you that is all revealed, but I, I, like, kind of figured it out, like, maybe a couple of paragraphs before the two Rachels were uh, there. What do you uh, mean that she didn't disappear? Like she didn't um, age backwards to zero and like uh, not get saved oh. by the Shrike, which was, wasn't clear to me even after he gave her to the oh, Shrike. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. And then, then it's also, oh. it's also clear that she didn't just like grow up on like Space Iowa part two um, or something. I see. Okay. So she like, they like went to the far future and she was raised there and then she got to go travel back in time again. Uh, so I thought it was a, good ending for the racial character. Okay. Uh, the one thing I did, I, I don't, this is probably not a unique idea. I don't know. I haven't encountered it before, but I did like the conclusion that Saul came to about the Abraham thing that Abraham did it because he was testing God. Like, Oh yeah. He, he was willing to make this sacrifice because like sort of because it was that important to him to know what kind of God he was dealing with and like presumably recommending to the rest of his society and, and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I, when I read that, I was thinking like, he probably like grifted this from some like Talmudic scholar or something. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but maybe he came up with it himself. I mean, I never encountered it. So I thought it was interesting too. Yeah. And that, that stuff's all pretty firmly in the public domain, I think. So I'm, I'm yeah, okay yeah. with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, Braun Lamia. I have here my notes, Virgin Mother of Christ. Yes. Yeah, what's the deal? Um, she also does not do too much. No, she is a little bit. Um, she certainly moves around more. I think. Yeah. So the Shrike inserts like a cable into her head and she's transported to the datum plane megasphere. Right, because of the shunt or the... Silica. Yeah, yeah. And like the, the first John Keats is with her and then they go talk to Uman, the giant gorilla or Samoan, depending on your perspective. <laughs> no, it's it's not the same character. It just sort of reminded me of like the these like sort of Zen philosophical dialogues. In oh, I see, book. I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's, he's a pretty funny guy. He's always talking about how John Keats is brain damaged. 
Um, yeah. You know, when that stuff started, I was like, good Lord. <laughs> and then I actually found it kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So anyway, a lot of the plot about how the technical techno core works is revealed here. And I think it is Uman who tells John Keats about how the techno core lives in the Farcaster network, which is how humans tra travel from planet to planet, like in an instant. Yes. Um, so that's a big plot reveal. And one of the John Keats is transports that information to the CEO via magic. Um. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It got to the point later in the book where people were just like, Hey, can you like dream this information over? And he would be like, I don't think so. And, and Mina Gladstone would be like, you should try. And then he would do it and it would work. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay. All yeah. Right. So, some fantasy elements, I suppose. But yeah. I mean, once everyone has a shunt in their head and is connected by like the ultimate internet and the AI, I mean, I mean, God is, is literally real also in this book. So yeah, there's plenty um, of stuff that can happen. Yeah. And then it's, so, so Braun has like a, a, is pregnant with a child by the first John Keats. And it's like strongly implied that this baby was going to be the new human God. Yeah. Or, or like just the, the empathy part of the triad or, or. Right. So that's know. why it's like the Trinity. I was, I was really hoping John Keats was the God and then the baby would be Jesus Christ. And then yeah. who knows what the third thing is. Oh, you mean love, AKA the force, the void that binds AKA like elemental forces of the universe, I think. Right. But I, this was before they talked about that in the book. I, I was okay. like imagining a much harder turn to Christianity. Like, Oh yeah. Like God, the son of God and, the third thing, which I never understood, yeah, you know, in like, in real Christianity. So, yeah. So what is the deal with how cleanly, like, is, is the human God supposed to predate and include like Christ? And if not, why does it map so neatly to, to the like Christian God of, of our reality? Right. Because um, it, it did seem to say that it happens in the future. Yes. But like everyone's time traveling. So right. it, it doesn't matter. Um, mm. I, yeah. I also thought this and I came to the conclusion at the end of the book that perhaps this is what the sequels are going to be about. Um, mm. But it's never really revealed. And the Pope, when they're, they talk about this and they're like, this is a heresy, but maybe it's not. Yes. A, yeah. Um, anything else about Bron Lamia or Uman or Quats? Uh, no, <laughs> that's him laughing, right? Uh, I don't know what it or was. like <laughs> clearing his throat or something. It, the The AI has like this really weird onomatopoeia, like sound it makes. Maybe it's supposed to be like a like a thunderclap laugh type thing. Was was what I was? Yeah, that but I have no right. idea. Okay, uh, who's next? And we got a yeah. Well, if we get through this plot summary, it, it's about as non-linear a plot summary as the book is a, a plot. So, but yeah, we'll get through I mean, it by thirty minutes. That'll be fine. Yeah, I, it's only the console left, and I oh, think okay. that can take us through the rest of the plot. Yeah. Okay. So the console ends up. Um, he he uh, goes to the he he sort of moves around a bunch in the middle of the book, 
um, kind of accomplishing nothing and becoming depressed. He um, tries to get his spaceship back, does other things, and then is prepared to go back to the tombs, but then is told, no, you have to go negotiate with the ousters because remember, the ousters aren't, well, they want a ceasefire because they still think the ousters are the ones attacking all these undefended worlds, but really it's the Technocore. So he goes out there, sort of brokers a peace, is expecting to sort of get the death sentence for sort of his various treason, treasons. And instead, in a, I think, fairly cheesy way, they sentence him to like live and repair the damage that he's done. And he's like, no, but I want it to be executed. Yeah. Um, and, and that's like uh, where we get the big reveal that most of the ouster invasion is not ousters, but right. robots from yeah. the Technocore. Um. Yeah, and then Mina Gladstone destroys the Farcaster web, thereby also sort of like, you know, in a to simplify, like destroying the economies of like every planet in the web, in the sense of like some of these planets probably have no economy, right? They're just like this is a giant casino planet because you can step through the doorway of a room and be on a farm somewhere yeah. and just like bring food in. So there's I, and there's a chapter at the end or a section where it sort of goes through a bunch of planets and is just sort of like, you know, on this planet, it immediately overthrew the government and like regressed a hundred years or a thousand years. And on this planet, they did this and that. And I kind of liked that section. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And Mayna Gladstone is like, you think she's going to give a speech to a crowd and then she just gets chopped up by the crowd. Yeah. She's like, I have to go do something. And her guard, which are literally called Praetorians, I think. Yeah. Um, they're like, uh, I don't think so. And she's like, I it's I have to give them something. And then they like chop her up. Yeah. And was, she seems I, down. I didn't, so. I didn't I didn't care for that, but it was a little uh sort of story ish. Yeah, yeah. I think I feel like it is out of a movie for teens. Sure, yeah. Uh, any more plots that we missed? Oh I mean, God, yeah, but you know, we'll we'll get to it. Yeah, um, yeah. In the beginning, I remember there was like ten like four star generals and admirals like talking about how they were gonna redeploy the fleet and leave all their planets undefended, and there was like no chance of it being a bad idea. Yeah, that was an embarrassing then, section of the book. <laughs> you you're like, no, you know, it's gonna be a bad idea. It's like such a trope like all the military guys being overconfident except for right. like one one little commander named william lee magenta adama or he's not named adama but <laughs> but it's, it's such a close name william i know i i <laughs> lee yeah, adama i know i had a i knew it would be a problem <laughs> when we discussed it <laughs> and he gets um, promoted from commander to admiral too right and i don't think he's a space guy he's like a naval officer yeah and they're just like well you seem you seem bright, so you're a rear admiral now. Yeah, but personality-wise, he was nothing like Adama. He's just kind of like a meh, like obedient. Yeah, dude. like sort of. Yeah, like, he's yeah. like Lee Adama, not Bill Adama. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually. I mean, I don't know if he's specifically like either of them, but um, yeah, I, I thought all the military stuff. Like there were bits at the end that I thought with the the general where gladstone was like hey you're actually my friend and not sort of the 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 you know the villain from the villain officer from the movie avatar mm -hmm. but in the rest of the book it was just like 
shut up civilian he said chomping another cigar and it was like okay i I guess so i guess (laughs) you could do this yeah it it was not it's like too much of a stereotype of what the military is like rather than anything real and that part in particular like when it's so i think the the fact that they're wrong is slightly redeemed by the fact that they were wrong like they they something happened that was sort of complete like Based on what they were talking about, they were still right. They just got betrayed by the AI, right? right? So it wasn't like they were like, no one can make that jump, hyperspace jump, and then someone just does. They they, But it was still, the effect was still sort of ridiculous, where it's like, oh, no, guess what? Remember that thing we specifically said they couldn't do? Well, it's the next chapter now, and they're doing it. And yeah. we've deployed our whole military for some reason. I, I don't know. Yeah. But in hindsight, now that I've read the entire book, it's like they were right. And it was like a completely th- a completely different thing that happened. Like, right. Right. Their strategy, as far as they knew, like they were correct to be like, no, of course we would see this coming, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> right. I still think the way it's deployed in the book is not... You know, I agree. Like you don't. It was weird. It was a weird moment. It doesn't have. You don't get the revelation. Like yeah, it seems like they're just completely wrong, and like yeah, but you don't realize that they're actually right until the end. Right. Um. Let's let's see. So we talked about a lot of the plot stuff. Um. For a while, I thought that the ultimate, the AI's God, or or they were saying that the um. So, or is this true? The the ultimate intelligence they build uses human minds. That's what I thought for a while, but the whole time they're just talking about the Farcaster network, right? I think it was both. Um, okay. Like question mark, you know? That's why they had to keep the ten million humans in the labyrinth with cruciforms injected into them. Right, right, right. And so the cruciforms and the the Christian cross from thousands of years ago is there a relationship there like the 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 stained glass cross that father dure finds in book one like what is the reality be like what is supposed I don't think to be happening there this book got there um, okay okay i assume that's in the sequels when it's gonna turn into a real christian revival yeah i mean kind of curious but Maybe another time. I, I'm curious. I, I feel like I exhausted my, um, you know, maybe it happens in the next book account with the previous book. Oh, yeah. Man, so ending. But just like, you know, if a bunch of stuff that I find unsatisfying about this book is answered in later books, I think this book still has to answer for it. I like, agree. Yeah. In the tribunal of the podcast. But I, I think this book did a much better job of um, ending. Like, I agree. I agree. It comes to a pretty obvious end of a bunch of different stories. Yeah. And the only thing that, like, there's a bunch of threads related to, like, how does all this Christian symbolism relate to actual Christianity? Right. Uh, and they're all related, at least. Like, And you're like, if you're interested in that, you can just read the next book and hopefully right. it comes up. Um, let's see. Hey, here's a, here's a miscellaneous question before I start complaining. Um, they, 
he kept using the term like, oh, beyond the limb of Hyperion or I saw. Is that like a space phenomenon? Is that like a a way to describe like the way a planet looks from space or something like that? What's the phrase? The limb of Hyperion, like arm or leg limb. Oh, I've never it, heard it, that before. It, it, come up, it came up a couple times in the book. Okay. I was just, yeah. just curious if it rang any bells. Yeah, I don't think I even listen properly to that part of the book. Just scrolling through this document. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess we already complained about John Keats. Yeah. Um, In the first half of the book, he did this annoying thing where he would spend like six paragraphs talking about the six pilgrims, like every other chapter, and basically summarizing like what happened in the first book. Yeah. Yeah. There was... Too much recapping. I think like you can't read this book without having read the first book anyway. Yeah. So like just cut your losses. And right. and there was a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, I I guess like if you were around, if you're reading this when it came out, it would have been like a year between books. So maybe the recapping would have been good then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, like, it's it's not, but like it was like the first third of the book, I think it kept kept yeah, hearing. They they should have really slim down that that half that first half or first third of the book um i have a corollary for the poetry rule another one i think we probably have others you shouldn't i guess you can but like you shouldn't write out your your stirring speeches that that like drive everyone to tears i think well, it they, they just copied churchill people. right yeah you shouldn't do that either but that's <laughs> but then, a different section of my document but they said that she was copying churchill so yeah she was I mean, it, I guess it, it goes hand in hand with how, like, for some reason, the 20th century is like the century to source stuff from in this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's just an outgrowth of that same problem, but yeah. Um, and this, this rule, how has this rule not been adopted yet? I, I'm just going to, you tell me if you agree, but I, in my opinion, you should never, ever, ever have a character think, oh, if this was an adventure story, I would do this, but this is real life. This isn't a holodrama. This is, you know, this is really happening. All that stuff. Can we ban that? Oh, yeah. I remember reading those things and thinking, that's kind of weird. Yeah, we should we should get rid of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I mean, there is stuff I feel like that is left sort of as, not like sequel bait, but stuff that's not supposed to be explained and that is supposed to raise questions. So I think I can give credit for that, like how Braun defeats the Shrike by just stepping out into thin air and shattering it with a punch or something. Yeah, I, I didn't get that. What was the deal there? I, I think it's unexplained, but it's supposed to be like a, well, what what's the explanation? Like we're supposed to wonder and then presumably be answered in the next book, I think. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Um. Yeah, let's just get this out of the way. I think that the the like describing everything in terms of the 20th century stuff was like even worse in this book. Um. And and just like the the it got to the point. So here's the problem for me. I don't know if I said this last time because I'm always repeating myself, but. Like, first of all, it makes it feel like your universe is not real, right? Because coincidentally, yeah. the only thing anyone cares about is the stuff that 
happens in reality. Right. And I'm sure um, like in the actual future, no one will even really care about the 20th century. Right. Like Except like historians. Right. Like people might, there will probably be some random parts. Like we still talk about ancient Rome and we still talk about, you know, just that basically. Um, but, you know, I don't know anything that happened during like Charlemagne's time. Right. Right. And so, and and it's not like it's that exciting time. Right. Right. Now. right. But the bigger problem is that it, I found it was so repetitive. The sources, like people talk about Grendel, the monster from Beowulf, like 20 times. He uses the the angel dances on ahead of a pin reference at least twice. The rough beast slouching towards Bethlehem at least three times, and it just, it just makes it seem, um, like he doesn't really know anything. Like he knows right. like ten references, and after a point, it was just sort of like, oh, this is, this kind of sucks. Like this is sort of embarrassing. Like oh, so, this like Churchill and Lincoln get referenced like thirty times. Oh, there yeah. are other rule, uh, other leaders in the twentieth century, even. Right. Um, what, what do you think is the alternative? Like, is it just to not reference things or do you have to like make up references? I think there, I think the best solution I've seen is, and he does it successfully sometimes, I think, is like a list of three things and two of them are real and one of them is like not real, but like it could be real, right? Like the, I, it happens like a couple times. Like, oh, like what? Like, uh, Horace Glennon Height. Yeah. And and there was stuff like that that was sort of effective world building that by the end I knew what it meant, even though it wasn't real. But yeah. you'd just be like, oh, he's like an, another, you know, another Lincoln or another Commander Adama, right? In, yeah, in yeah. pretending Adama doesn't exist in this. Yeah. And then you'd be I, like, okay, well, that person is probably like Lincoln, but it it's sort of you get it across. Right. Because yeah. 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 I think that makes sense if you like want to use the historical analog, but I think even that might still sound annoying because like, yeah. why would you reference two things from like the 21st century now or 20th century? Right. I, I like, I like, um, yeah, maybe it makes sense just like, I guess another sin is like, you can just make up a lot of backstory and not explain any of it. And I think we read a book like that recently, like Ancillary Justice. Um, yeah. And I mean, and that's kind of cool. That's, I think, the the like bravest way to do it. Yeah. Um, the other thing you can do is just sort of get over the fact, like, I think the tra the trap is like, oh well, when people really talk, they make a whole bunch of references to history and culture. So I have to do that. So how do I do that and not have it just be like nonsense, made up stuff that no one's going to get? But you right. can also just have your dialogue not be that referential. Like, there are plenty of books written today that take place today that don't constantly describe their characters in terms of like 20th century leaders. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. I guess cyberpunk did this and they just made up everything. Yeah. I think that's if, if you really want to have that like detailed, um, you know, uh, realistic dense universe, you kind of just have to bite the bullet and go for that. If you really yeah. want to get it at so. the highest level. And then your book is timeless. It won't depend on people being alive. Right. And like understanding references. Although I guess at that point, like if no one understands them, they'll just be like, wow, look at all these crazy references they made up. Yeah. But you'll get it like after repeated hints yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, agreed.
So I have what's the deal with John Keats twice in my list. Do you know what do you have an answer? Because <laughs> no, I don't. What's the deal with John Keats? Also, what is the deal with John Keats? Um, <laughs> like just further down. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think the author just liked him a lot, but I don't. I didn't like any of that. You mean the the like uh, John Severn, John Keats, like his that character, or just yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't. Okay, so right. Uh, it's like a cybrid style guy, and then he has these dreams, and then eventually he goes through a farcaster. But the uh, Technocore redirects him to old Earth, which apparently is really old Earth, um, I think. And then he starts to come down with tuberculosis and dies of tuberculosis in the place on Earth where John Keats really died of it. But and 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 somehow by doing that, he has he has given up the opportunity to become the human god or something. Uh, yeah. Something like that. It's very yeah. unclear. And I have no idea why he did that, why he made that decision, why he was made, because he was created in this elaborate way in this environment, uh, with this like synthesized personality. Uh, none of that really made any sense to me. Yeah. I, I didn't understand why they picked John Keats. They even had an explanation at some point, And it was like, he was the kindest soul in 30 generations of humans. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah you I just guess. gotta you just gotta okay i'm i'm just i'm just strike throughing stuff uh uh yeah templars whatever they never actually do anything they get killed yeah they their planet gets destroyed by the techno core pretending to be ousters um so Look, I, I guess I don't want to go too much further into the details of the plot, mm -hmm. but so, well, I don't think I need to because my opinion, I, I think the plot might just be nonsense. Like, I don't think anything really comes together other than like some very, some very basic mechanics of like who goes where and travels to where in time and comes back. But like Gladstone asks the Technocore to recommend the pilgrims for the trip to the the seven pilgrims of the original book. Yeah. And they tell her using their prediction stuff. And then those pilgrims end up like if Kassad doesn't go, I think the AI just wins, right? Yeah. So was it like the stable faction of the AI getting control or something? Like, I, I just, none yeah. of the big picture mechanics of the plot came together for me at all. I, I think um, what you're saying is a fundamental issue with the book, because like at any point, the AIs can just like kill someone in a forecaster portal and they like kidnap someone at some point. So it's not like they can't do it. Right. But, um, so my interpretation here was, uh, the way I rationalized this was um, the AIs, some AIs are, uh, all the AIs that are telling them this were stable AIs, like, and they just were like trying to help the humans. Um, but the, the ambassador isn't, right? Like he is uh, betraying them. Like he's the uh, one who tells right, them I was, like. Yeah. I was also imagining these AIs are so complicated that they, you could, maybe the ambassador is like behind the scenes being controlled by like different factions of the AI. Hmm, okay. 
and like the average response is to like try to kill all humans or something for the ambassador, but for the Farcaster portals, it's not. Maybe a stable AI is in charge of the Farcaster portals um, and in charge of the predictions. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's a good rationalization and about as good as you can do. I still think that that is like not a good story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. it's just sort of like a bunch of stuff happens and the systems at work are so complex that you can kind of imagine an explanation. Yes. Um, that, that is true. I, I was able to imagine some explanations for some things, but there's no guarantee that it, it worked the way I thought it did. Yeah. Um, eco-terrorism always good. Uh, yes, there's some good stuff there. I mean, they're not even that. Well, it's, I guess it's pretty eco-terrorism. They're like, we're going to conspire to destroy the hegemony so that, you know, humans stop colonizing space, basically. And the ousters, yeah. they're just like, we don't want to change planets. We want to change ourselves into cat people. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that is good. Also, orangutan people. Yeah. Oh, all sorts of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, that scene felt so familiar to me. I feel like I must have read excerpts of this book or something. Hmm. Or the previous book. I mean, I, I also got sort of Doctor Who vibes from that stuff too, where it's just like, oh yeah, it's the far future. Like people just do crazy stuff and everyone's down with everything. Yeah. You know, like this guy looks weird, but really he's as human as, as we are. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. He's, he's right. a cat man. Like, <laughs> so don't judge a person by the way they look. Right. Even if they're a cat. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's cool. I don't really, I would like to not, destroy ecosystems but also not be a catman right there's so, a you know I, I feel like everyone's viewpoint in this book is kind of uh one-dimensional but that's there are so many characters it, it was fine i guess yeah let me ask you something who was your favorite character across the two books um my first thought is saul just because his story was the best story in the yeah plot. Um, but I don't, he didn't do anything in the second book. Yeah. And it's not like he did anything in the first book. He just, things just happened to him and it's just right. like a very interesting story. But I think the first book, um, I think this book is pretty incoherent. Um, mm -hmm. and I have sort of writing style criticisms of it. I think the first book is, is really like there are interconnections, but most of it is just sort of a promise that things will unfold in the second book. But the first book, some of the stories are just good, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it never has to tackle the bigger question of how it all comes together. So it, you know, that's good for it, I think. Like that I agree. gives it an easier ride. Yeah. Like my feeling was the first four stories were almost independent with very loose references to each other. And then by story five, he was like, I need to wrap this up and figure out a way to end things. And that's when mm, like, I see. he started writing book two, but some of it leaked into book one. Yeah. Um, so who was your favorite character? Uh, I don't know. I feel like Saul was probably the most, um, you know, I, I, I probably wanted him to do well the most. Mm -hmm. Everyone else was kind of weird or something yeah. a little hard to because he was just like, sort of like doing his best and he yeah, had a real was, problem <laughs> yeah I, it is funny like all the other characters are like i guess i'll wish for your problem to be solved because i don't know why i'm here 
like right. Silenus. Yeah, right. I guess he wants he wants to end the poem, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's a that's a problem. Um, I I kind of liked Mina Gladstone. Like she was a bit of a bit of a cartoon sometimes. I thought, but like, okay, here's why I liked her. She was going around doing stuff all the time. Nobody yeah. else was doing anything in the book. Um, well, so I appreciated. He was, but in sort of like a like a superhero. That's like, true. Yeah. He never really, you know, he just like had a bunch of fights and it never really seemed like he was just going to like realistically die in one. Like, oh, got clipped with a bullet. Now I'm dead. You know, yep. it was just sort of like, I'm going to charge at things. And I thought he was yeah. okay. He just didn't, he was so effective and like undaunted that I wasn't really worried about him. I was like, I guess he'll probably die in battle somehow. And he seems fine with that. So (laughs) cool. Yeah. It's all going to work out. Um, can I do some complaining? Yeah. I can cross, I can cross some stuff out here. Um, number one problem I think with this book, as opposed to the first one, um, uh, number one problem I think is that the plot doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I think it's incoherent and, but like I was just talking about, I think, uh, we're, we're back in time travel prophecy and not surprisingly really passive characters territory. Right. Um, like they just get to the tombs and they're literally sitting there. Like, I don't know. I kind of thought like something would happen. Yeah, like, and they I just, thought like, the Shrike would kill us, or I thought, and they just like walk around and explore and don't find anything, and they sit there and they're like, "We're almost out of food," and then Hoyt gets killed, which is something, and then the consul's like, "I'm going to go back to my ship," and you get a whole chapter of him just traveling oh, on the yeah, thing. Yeah, I hated that chapter. It's like, like the flying carpet. Yeah, it was like pointless, and then he got like robbed by English highwaymen or something. Yeah, right, like Robin Hood bandits. Yeah, like Robin Hood era, just like. Governor, yeah, it's not. Were they English in the in the audiobook? Uh, like I, British accent. I imagine them to be. So they must have been. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and and so there was that where I think there were a lot of people just sitting around not doing anything and nothing happening to them. They had no goals. They had no problems. Magnified by the fact that you had a lot of stuff where people would just be like, "I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to be here." I'm a part of this. I don't know what part I'm supposed to play or where to play it. I think that's a direct quote that I wrote down. That just sucks. Like that nobody has any agency. Nobody's taking any actions. People are just sitting around waiting for like events to push them through the, the, the paces of whatever prophecy. Um, I think this is like, there, there were characters saying like, you know, Oh, like I'm here and they think I'm not going to be able to change anything. And then instead of like, but I'm going to go out and just like start doing crazy stuff. It was like, but you know, they could be right. Like, I don't really understand what's going on. It's like, what? Saul, right? Good character. He does nothing. He makes one decision in the entire book. He waits before it. He makes a decision. I don't really understand the basis for that decision. I, I don't understand it as a meaningful decision, handing his daughter to the Shrike, because in another couple seconds, she was about to not exist. He had no choice. So he right. takes that action and does nothing else for yeah. a long book. Yeah. I mean, I kind of expected that to happen. I mean, 
I, I understand your criticism, but specifically about his decision, like I figured there'd just be no options except for him to hand him her over because like what else is he going to do? Let her disappear? I, I think his choice makes sense. I think as like all of this has to be in the context of something that an, uh, someone chose to write a story about, right? Right, so, right, yeah. But you, you know, you're right. Like nothing happened. Like he doesn't do anything for like two thirds of the book after that choice, except like wait until right. And he like end. thinks he sees people and like fights his way through the time tides to look at stuff, but then nobody's there. And that's like I think Saul really highlights things. But like you know, Bron Bron Lamia, like she takes more actions. She travels farther, but she doesn't really make any decisions. She yeah. has a bunch of like weird stuff happen. Um, I think the number of meaningful decisions that get made by characters in this book, really small. Um, yeah. Though, so, you know, Gladstone kind of destroys an empire. Yeah. And that's, I think, why I was much more interested reading her parts. Yeah. Um, I agree. Her, hers was definitely the, the highlight. Like, I didn't even really care about the pilgrims anymore. Yeah. And so here's something that, like, really weirded me out. And I should have said it in the first book. I really never got like these, everyone was just sort of acting like they're on vacation, like they're just traveling, especially in the first book. I really never got a sense that people like all of these people are like committing suicide, right? Well, it was a, it is, they they thought their wish would be granted, right? Maybe. Well, but like they had to know that uh, supposedly only one of them does and the rest of it is only a myth. Like not even everyone believed that. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like Bron Lamia was like, so the myth goes, but that can't be real. Or that was the vibe I got. Like they didn't well, but, really believe it. But hmm. okay, I guess that makes more sense. But I, I don't know. I, I also got the, like, once they get there, people are just sort of like, I don't know. Like, isn't the Shrike gonna like kill us soon or something? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. they kind of got worried when people started disappearing. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it felt like a maybe like a missed opportunity for some yeah. tension and, and spookiness, but I guess that's pretty far afield to go for criticism. Right. Uh, how are you? I'm good. Um, yeah, let's see. Do I have any more criticisms? I do not. I, I oh, you should have one more criticism involving. Is a, it about uh, some technology thing? No, it's about when they sing another wizard of Oz song. Oh yeah, I remember that, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> um, I think I like started blacking out at that point, so okay. I might have forgotten it quite pretty quickly. That was like right at the end. I'm like, all the good stuff is wrapped up, so I guess they're just gonna we're gonna find out what happens in Hyperion now in yeah. the epilogue. Um, I'm 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 mostly there. I have a okay. So I I think uh the book is the plot is nonsense. I think the ending specifically where John Keats dies, Saul hands Rachel to the Shrike. The Shrike is presumably going to go, like, kill Rachel or something, but John Keats shows up as, like, a techno-ghost, yeah. and then the stupid erg thing that's been in the, the Mobius cube forever somehow lets him take physical form, question mark, and yes. then he takes Rachel and, like... It was like five levels of techno babble, and I, I was. It was like this bizarre. I don't understand why it needed to be that complicated to like get through the mechanics of that part of the plot because it just well, seemed insane to me. I guess like 
John Keats has to do something and because he's <laughs> yes, like that, that's not he's the good, guy that's not a good explanation <laughs> it'd have been cooler if they had leaned harder into the paradox and just had Rachel do it sure yeah um, I mean they're clearly fine with with paradox so wait. yeah why not yeah um, yeah I didn't like that much at all uh, but I think overall with this story like Things like are not well explained, so I can like make up an explanation for things that aren't well explained. Hmm. So I didn't fully hate the book, except for the beginning. I, f- I hated the first half, but that's probably because of all the recap. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Um, all right. So do you want to move on two, to ratings or two more? Two points? more things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think in general, this book made the mistake of letting us too far behind the curtain. Um, like it, there was a lot of whatever my other criticisms, there was a lot of good sort of mystery mm-hmm. at the end of Hyperion. And then like, it just like, it felt like it shrank the universe really quickly. Like you, Oh, remember father Duray? He was cool. Now he's here and he's like a, a hot older man. Isn't that cool? And then like everyone, every minor character from the first book is at the same dinner party and they like all talk to each other. And I don't know. It just felt like, we suddenly got this like full fluorescent spotlight on every aspect where the first book had left all these things in shadow. And you were sort of like, Oh man, like it's crazy. Like every loose end seemed like it had to be brought out and, and put in front of, which I I wasn't crazy about. Right. Yeah. I guess um, I, I like, I like learning about, Hyperion, but I guess it like ruins it for the future. Though there's all the Christian stuff that's still a mystery. Yeah. And then my my last thing is just that I wish like this book is really elusive and mm-hmm. um you know, it's trying to be sort of like literary and dense. Um I wish that it had had I wish it had been less um explicit about a lot of stuff. Here is here is just uh an example. This is not a huge criticism. I just think it, it could have been just from like a, a writing perspective. I mm-hmm. thought it was sort of interesting. There's a thing where um, they're talking about, I don't know, sacrificing for God and stuff like that. And I think it's, someone says it would have to be something more terrible than the crucifixion. And then you get this where um, something more terrible than the crucifixion repeated Duray in a hoarse whisper. And I think that's actually a really great moment because mm-hmm. he of all people who crucified himself on like a Tesla tree for seven years, you know, if you've read the first book, you would understand that he has a particular understanding of how terrible crucifixion really is. Right. Yeah. But then the, what happens right after that sentence is that the book explains that reference. And I just wish it had had a little more confidence in, in the reader's, to make cuz to to make those connections themselves i think it was just a bit of a there there were a couple different things like that i think in general that's a, a missed opportunity to just you know trust like right, let, right. let your readers and some let some readers miss it and some readers get it if that's what it takes but like you know let it let it ride i thought stuff like that happened a lot um like there's a lot of things where i only realized that there was a connection like 3 days later when i'm like oh that Hmm. thing was referenced there 
No. Um, yeah, you could be right. Maybe I just noticed the parts. Like you'd only notice the parts that you didn't miss. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about our feelings. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I was hovering between two ratings, but I feel like you're hovering between a different two ratings. Um, yeah, I was... I was pretty disappointed. Yeah. Um, I, I, I knew I would be. Are you going to like retroactively downgrade the last book? No, I think, I I don't think I, I, I mean, I don't think I would knock it down a full star. Yeah. And it seems almost unfair. Like I knew, right. I, I know that things never end well. <laughs> in stories and series and stuff. So it's not like I really was, I didn't, I didn't pin that rating on like, Oh yeah, well book two is going to like kill it and everything's going to wrap up beautifully. Right. So, I kind of expected, like yeah, I was taking too. into account that they didn't end. Like if they had a good ending, then maybe it would have been five stars. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So yeah. When I started this book, I was like, this is definitely going to be a two star book and I'm not even sure if, um, it would be that if it weren't for the first book. And so I think I definitely want to rate this book on its own rather than as a sequel. Cause like it mm. benefits a lot from being a sequel. Like the book would be much less interesting without the first book. Um, and it was only towards the end that I finally thought things were resolving. And I liked the main of Gladstone stuff that I was thinking about three stars. I'm going to stick with two stars though. Cause like this book has to stand on its own. Um, and without the first book, it's not that great. Yeah, I did like how many of the plots turned out. And I think, it, as I said earlier, just they left things vague enough that you could make your own explanation for things to make it make sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm feeling the, the limitations of our rating scale. You know, there, it has benefits, but also, I mean, I, I really like there's there's so much writing in it mm-hmm. you know and like there are lots of good sentences and there's 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 like there's clearly skill uh um, right being applied here but i really just feel like as this like not as a sequel i feel like it's almost unreadable honestly mm-hmm. like you just be like who are these people why are these like who who cares like who is this person he's like a weird poet and he's not in the book at all like why would someone why is this in here right and at least right. if you read the first book you're like oh it's because he was in the first book um i i i yeah i it's hard for me to give it one star which is how i feel about it because right. the, the individual quality of the writing is way better than other stuff i've given one star to but i really think that like there there's and it's not like it takes it's not like, like you said for the last book, I don't think it has some brilliant idea that it just can't like, that he like can't right. quite control because it's so difficult. Um, the, the, the achievement of the book I think is density and maybe like sentence by sentence quality of writing, um, like density of universe and, and world building and stuff like that. Um, but I really just feel like the plot, like there's nothing like you, you can justify some things if you try really hard, but like, 
I, I feel like I have to say one star given how I'm talking about it. Like, yeah, I just think nothing happens. There are no, there are no revelations to me that feel like, Oh, of course. Or like, Oh man, that's crazy. Just sort of like, yep. Like think things continue. Like why, what is the deal with the Shrike? Who it's being sent back? Is it being controlled? Like it kills a bunch of people. It, it, you know, why does it write, why does it communicate to Martin Silenus when he's almost done with his poem and say like, no, you have to go now. Like if, if that means, if that doesn't have an explanation, that's why this is a one star book to me. Right. Cause it feels like just a whole bunch of things happen and are said with weight and it doesn't make any sense. Like there's no coherence to it. Yeah. I think, um, that's a, a really good point. Like it, that, that that kind of stuff makes me think like the first few stories he wrote in the first book were like almost unrelated and he only assembled them into a full mm. universe like after the fact. I mean, it's maybe in the later stories they became related. Yeah, um, it does make me curious about how this was written. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go one star and it, it should make Jay angry. Not that what does he rate it? Hear I think he said that when he read these, which was a long time ago, they were both five stars. Oh, yeah. He's, he mean, has very poor taste. I mean, all, I, I, I've rated a lot of books five stars that I, I don't think I would rate five stars now that we've started this podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I've made you like things less. Yeah, I know. That's a, that's like a success. A lot of Asimov books. Um, yeah. So how would you rate the combined book? Would that still be one star? Uh, no, I think that there's enough um quality in the best stories like i i if if i had to read both books which i guess i sort of did um i think it was worth it for like the the priest story and the the rachel aging backwards story from the first book yeah Um, i kind of wish there was no way around it i i kind of wish i hadn't read this like this is i gotta say this is almost exactly what i was expecting to feel about whatever the sequel was. Um, I didn't expect the exact like ways the plot went, but Mm -hmm. I was expecting like, you know, this is like a late stage lost TV show. Just like, just keep piling on the prophecies and the time travel and the people like cryptically saying like, Oh, you'll understand later what your purpose is. And like, but none of it actually would make sense if it were, put together front to back as, right. as cause and effect. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. At least I um, love getting upset. Yeah. I mean, it's good stuff. Um, well, what about you combined books? Yeah, I think I would give it, uh, like, let's say it's combined as is, um, the low side of three stars. And if, um, it had been edited better to be like a single book with less recap, maybe the high end of three stars. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I guess the, the only other thing is that the second book does diminish some things that I liked about the first book, which were just like, Oh man, like I'm really curious about the Shrike and the time tombs and stuff like that. Um, so that is kind of lost. Yeah. Yeah. Book. I mean, I think th- things started going downhill in the middle of the first book. So yeah. um, if it had just been like another, 50% longer with all the stuff that happened here. Uh, it, I don't know. I wouldn't have been too much extra disappointed. Yeah. And um, I, you know, the more you go for it with the complexity of your story, I think a, the harder you fall, if you don't stick the landing and B, the harder it is to stick the landing. Cause there's more going yeah, yeah. on. 
So I feel a little sympathy. Right, right. Um, oh, one moment where I did, I think, oh shit, that's happening is when uh, the ousters turned out to be the Technocore. I didn't expect that at all. Hmm. Uh, and I thought that was cool. But again, it's not even related to the pilgrims. It's like, there's, it's just a second plot. Right. Right. Like it kind of is, but not real. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, good work. I think I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we did the second one. Yeah. I think it, I Me mean, too. I was, re- I, w- I was really curious. I wanted to know what happens. Yeah. Um, so what book will we be reading next time, Oscar? Oh, next. Oh, so exciting. Next time we'll be reading Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny, which I've already read. And you probably know what I think of it. Yeah. But Spoiler God, you want to reread it? Oh, so I, you- I'm definitely going to reread it. Also, I've listened to the audiobook before and I remembered quite enjoying it. So, so um, do you have, oh, we can talk about this offline, but I'm looking forward to reviewing this book. Yeah, this is, this is one of my, well, no spoilers for listeners. I yeah. guess it's probably, probably too late for that, but. Well, no spoilers uh, for me because I've never read it. Right. All right. So we'll be back in two weeks with the Lord of Light, which won all sorts of awards, probably. Who knows? Uh, by Roger Zelazny. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you then, Neil. Yeah. Talk to you then, Oscar.